They're now afraid to open and honestly share their innermost thoughts and feelings. And so they protect themselves by concealing those thoughts and their feelings from each other. If that sounds like your marriage, you're not alone. It's sad, but many marriages are simply a case of two people who used to be passionately in love with each other, but have now settled into a pattern of patiently enduring each other. Or worse yet, not enduring each other. When we do that, we cheat ourselves out of the amazing blessing God wants us to have in our marriage relationship. And to compound the disaster, we give the devil reason to rejoice. He dances with glee when a wife gives her husband the silent treatment, or a husband berates his wife because he's in a bad mood. But there's hope for even the most miserable of couples if we are willing to practice a little humility and learn from our mistakes, or someone else's mistakes. But it can't happen if we play the blame game. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Kreloff will be continuing our study of the biblical marriage as we take a look at the mistakes Adam and Eve made so that we can do the opposite. Adam and Eve started out great. Then along came a serpent who was under the control of Satan himself. Speaking through the serpent, Satan challenged Eve to a debate. And Eve, rather than telling him to get lost, took the bait and it was all downhill from there. So open your Bible, if you have it with you, and turn to chapter 3 of Genesis. Let's see what we can learn from Adam and Eve's mistakes. Here's Pastor Steve. Now, theologians refer to the results of, of the fall as total depravity, but that's a misunderstood term. It doesn't mean that we all act as bad as we're capable of acting. That's what some people think that it means. It doesn't mean that we act as bad as we're capable of, of behaving, but rather that we are depraved in our totality. In other words, wickedness infects every part of our being, our minds, our emotions, our wills. And wickedness and evil, sinfulness, impacts every aspect of our lives. There is no part of us that has escaped being corrupted by the fall, corrupted by sin. Therefore, when Adam sinned, everything changed for him and Eve as paradise was lost forever. Now notice carefully how the fall affected Adam and Eve, especially in the area of their marriage, because this is the same way the fall impacts us today as we face the consequences of being depraved sinners. First of all, we see that the fall adversely affected how Adam and Eve now related to each other. Notice the beginning of verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Now, isn't this interesting? It's interesting because Genesis chapter 2 closed by telling us that the man and the woman were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, that was a statement, as I explained when we went over this, that was a statement referring to their physical and sexual intimacy, which was an expression of their relational intimacy, their relationship with each other of being one flesh. Remember, Adam had said of Eve, his wife, that she was bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. And every time they engaged in physical relations, they were demonstrating the reality of that truth. So Adam and Eve enjoyed each other sexually in a way that was totally pure, without any sinful thoughts or actions. And they functioned this way. Why? Because their relationship with each other was pure and unselfish, as they were really the best of friends without any sin. But now we read, Here in chapter 3, verse 7, that their eyes were opened and they knew 
that they were naked. So what does this mean? It means that their innocence was gone. Their eyes were open to the fact that they were now sinners and therefore they knew something had changed in their sexual relationship with each other. Why? Because their relational intimacy had been altered. See, for the first time they were aware of selfishness in their hearts and negative attitudes towards each other and the openness and honesty and transparency with each other as intimate companions, which had been present because they were the best of friends without any sin, gone. It was gone, and they knew it. And so was the purity of their sexual relationship with each other. That is to say, and this is very important, so listen closely, because sin had entered their hearts and they had lost this relational closeness to each other, God's gift of having physical relations with each other was now polluted and corrupted. In other words, because their relationship was negatively affected outside of their bedroom, it was negatively affected inside of their bedroom. Listen, moments prior to the fall, Adam and Eve had delighted in being naked and experiencing physical relations with each other because their relationship with each other was completely perfect without any sin in their hearts. But now all all of that has been altered. Sin has invaded their relationship, and so sin has invaded their physical intimacy. And now they see sexual intimacy as something that's really not great because their relationship has been ruptured by sin. When a couple has a problem in the bedroom, it's usually not directly a sexual issue. It's because they're having a problem outside in their relationship. But notice how Adam and Eve try to deal with this problem of intimacy. The rest of verse 7 says this, And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. As Adam and Eve looked at each other's naked body, feeling a sense of aloofness from each other, for the very first time, they decide to do something about it. They cover up. They sew some fig leaves together and they make loincloths for themselves. Now, what this couple is doing is trying to hide from each other. And while initially it was their bodies that they tried to hide from each other, it was indicative of a deeper issue of sin in their hearts. As I said a moment ago, when a married couple has a problem in the bedroom, it is because sin has affected them outside of the bedroom. That is to say, when a husband and wife are not close to each other, functioning as one flesh and best friends with honest and open communication being a a way of life, then it will inevitably have a negative effect on their physical intimacy. In other words, covering their bodies from each other is is just symptomatic of a much deeper problem. The problem of, of withdrawing from each other and hiding their true thoughts and feelings from one another. See, this is the way that sin affects our marriages. It it causes us to be selfish and self-focused. And when that happens, we withdraw from our spouse, covering up our deepest feelings and our thoughts from them. Being hurt by their selfishness, we feel emotionally vulnerable. And so we just clam up because we don't want to be hurt again. We keep our thoughts to ourselves. So not only do we cover up our bodies and not enjoy physical intimacy as God created it, to be enjoyed, but because sin has come between us and our spouse, we cover up and we hide our deepest thoughts from them. 
And the result is that husbands and wives really don't know each other anymore like they used to because they have been so hurt by each other's sinfulness that they're now afraid to open and honestly share their innermost thoughts and feelings. And so they protect themselves by concealing those thoughts and their feelings from each other. Now, if this is the way your marriage is, this is the way it's become, you don't feel close to your spouse, you don't know what's going on in in their hearts anymore, then what's the biblical solution? Well, the solution is that you have to get back to the kind of relationship that God created marriage to be uh, in, in your life. You have to get back to the kind of relational intimacy that God made marriage to be by working at establishing good lines of communication so that the issues that have separated you from your spouse can be resolved and your closeness can be restored. So how do you do that? Well, it's interesting. We learn what not to do from Adam and Eve's negative example. Because as we continue to observe this first couple, we're given insight into how to resolve conflicts with our spouse by seeing how horrible Adam and Eve handled their sin. Look at what they did and do just the opposite. That's what you want to learn from this. So here's what we read in verses 8 through 10. They heard the sounds of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Now, what we read here is that shortly after Adam and Eve covered themselves with fig leaves, they heard God walking in the garden of Eden. It says, in the cool of the day, meaning at the time when the evening breezes begin to blow. Now, most likely, this was an appearance of God in the form of a human body. The Bible says God is spirit, but this apparently was... God taking on the form of a human body, which is what theologians refer to as a theophany, an appearance of God. This may very well have been a daily appointment time that the Lord had with Adam and Eve when he met with them for a special time of fellowship. But on this occasion, when they heard the sounds of the Lord approaching, we read that they ran, they hid themselves from God amongst the trees. Now, God knows everything that has happened to Adam and Eve. He knows everything that is going to happen to Adam and Eve because the Bible says that God is omniscient, meaning that he is all-knowing. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that escapes God's knowledge. So when he calls out to Adam in verse 9, where are you? He does this not because he doesn't know where Adam is. He calls out in order to prompt Adam to consider his, his wrongdoing. In other words, he wants Adam to acknowledge and to admit his sin, that he, that he disobeyed him in eating of the forbidden fruit. But Adam's response in verse 10 is simply to tell the Lord that he ran from his presence because he was afraid due to his nakedness. You see, in realizing that he is now naked, Adam recognizes that he's, he's now a sinner, that's, that's really what he's saying, and therefore he feels shame, he feels guilt, he feels embarrassment before the Lord, and that's why he is hiding from God. In other words, Adam is now afraid of God's presence because being a sinner, he's afraid of God's judgment on his sin. Now listen, this is the very same reason that people are running 
and, and hiding from God today, at least trying to hide from him, instead of running to Christ for salvation, they run from him because they know that their sin deserves judgment. Everybody knows that. Even if you didn't know the Bible, you have a conscience that tells you you're wrong. Everybody knows that their sin deserves judgment. And yet they refuse to repent and refuse to be saved. And why is that? Because we are depraved sinners. Depraved sinners don't come running to Christ on their own for salvation. We run from him. Depravity makes us love our sin and refuse to give it up. That's why Jesus said in John, John chapter 3, Jesus addressed this very issue. He said in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, this is the judgment that the light, he is the light, has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. Unbelievers hate Christ. And they do not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Listen, this is why... God sovereignly seeks us and brings people to himself for salvation. He's the one who who makes the initial step in salvation and changes our hearts through regeneration so that we will now desire to obey him. We will come to him. If he didn't do this, no one would come to him. Depraved sinners don't come to Christ on their own. No one would come to him for salvation. So he goes seeking us. Now, going back to Adam's situation, the Lord wants him to admit and confess his sin, note this, by taking responsibility for his defiant rebellion. So the Lord asks him yet another question in verse 11. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now, once again, the Lord's only asking Adam this question so that Adam would acknowledge his sin and repent of it. But notice how Adam responds. Folks, he does the very worst possible thing that can be done because it fails to resolve his broken fellowship with his wife and it fails to resolve his broken fellowship with God. He blames others for his sin. Verse 12. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. And notice what Adam says to God. Instead of taking responsibility for his own sin and admitting that what he did was wrong and it's his fault, he tries to justify what he did by putting the blame on Eve. He puts the blame on Eve for giving him the fruit from the tree. And, you know, he even implies that it's really God's fault. It's not his. It's God's fault that he disobeyed because, after all, it was you, God, who gave me this woman, and she's the one who gave me the fruit from the tree, and that's why I ate. What about Eve? How did she feel about her sin of giving into temptation and eating the fruit and then giving Adam the fruit? Well, notice her response when God asked her about what she had done. Verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Look, Eve does the same thing that Adam does. called passing the buck. Blame shifting. She blames someone else for her sin. She blames the serpent for deceiving, for deceiving her. You know what? People have seen humor in this for years. People come up with all kind of, uh, kinds of so-called funny lines about this, witty lines like uh, one I read recently. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. The serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. So it might not even be that, that witty. 
as humorous as it might sound, what Adam and Eve did in blaming others for their sin is really a very serious matter because it is a major reason why couples continue to have unresolved conflicts today. See, what Adam did, the way we would put it today, we'd say he threw Eve under the bus. That's the new expression. He threw Eve under the bus in an attempt to save his own skin, to get off the hook with God. This woman, who he initially had been so thrilled with and overwhelmed to have, you know what, he now despised her. He's willing to discard her. He despises her for leading him into sin, and he's willing to discard her to God's judgment to save his own neck. Listen, we really are the children of Adam and Eve, aren't we? Because like our first parents, we often make all kinds of excuses about our behavior, our sinful behavior. We blame everyone else for our behavior except ourselves. You know, I know when a couple comes to see me, a married couple comes to see me, and they're having difficulties in their relationship, I know almost immediately if I'm going to be able to help them. And what tips me off is, is who they think is responsible for the problem. If they're pointing fingers at each other and saying, well, he's doing this, and, and he says, well, she's doing this, you know what, I know I can't help them. Because they're not going to take responsibility for their own sin. And if they don't take responsibility for their own sin, then they don't have anything to repent of. If you don't have anything to repent of, you can't resolve anything. So if they come to see me and it's everybody else's fault, then I know I can't help them. But if they come to see me and they say, you know what, Steve, I, I know I've sinned. I'm to blame. We, I just need to know what does the Bible say about having, how I get back on track and resolving this. If she says that, he says that, I know I can help them because I know that they're going to be open to biblical truth. They'll be responsive to counsel then. But so often, folks, this is not the case. Instead of acknowledging our guilt and taking responsibility for our own actions, one of the effects of the fall is that we are inclined to make excuses for our sinful behavior and we blame others for our wrongdoing. I'm so angry because my wife knows how to push my buttons, and yeah, she's pushed them. If she didn't say what she said, then I wouldn't have exploded the way I exploded. See, so whose fault is it? It's not mine. She pushed my buttons. My anger is not the issue. It's her. She started it. Or if only my husband was a godly man and a spiritual leader, then I would be a godly wife, a spiritual wife, and we'd have a better marriage. So whose fault is it? It's his fault. not my fault. The reason I do these things is because this is the way my parents did things. My dad was an alcoholic, so I'm an alcoholic. He was my role model, so don't blame me, blame him. It's what I saw growing up. What do you expect uh, me to behave like? It's not my fault that I can't control my sexual activity. That's the way God made me. I'm genetically wired to be like this. So what, what are we saying? Our immorality, it's God's fault. It's not mine. If my husband treated me better, then I would treat him better. But he's such a bear to live with, it's no wonder that I'm always grouchy with him. See, it's his fault. Or, as some say, you know what? It's my culture. That's just the way my culture is. We're we're a little fiery. We're a little feisty. We are contentious. Culture is often wrong. It's wrong. You don't listen to culture. You listen to the word of God if you know Christ. Or you know what, God, it's your fault that our family has so many problems. If you hadn't given us this this rebellious child, then then we would live better lives. I'm, I'm so angry most of the time, it's because of my child. And you gave that child to me. 
Listen, folks, these are nothing but lame excuses for our sinful behavior. No one is to blame for what you do or how you respond to situations, but you. No matter how you were raised, no matter how difficult your spouse is to live with, no matter how you've been wronged in your marriage, no matter what your genetic makeup is, no matter what your child is like, no matter what culture you come out of, God holds you and you alone responsible for your behavior. Why? Because he always gives enough grace to obey him in any situation. You'll never find yourself in a situation where you don't have grace to obey him. So no excuse for our sin is ever valid. No one is to be blamed for our sinful actions or attitudes but us. And there is never any justification for disobeying God. James chapter 1 addresses this very issue at the, towards the end of the Bible. James chapter 1, listen to what, what James writes. James 1, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he does not tempt anyone. Here's someone who says, God is behind this. It's his fault. James says, no, it's not. He tells us in verses 14 and following, it's our fault. Each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. It's our desire. It's not God's fault. And when lust has conceived, and he's not talking here just about sexual lust, he's talking about any desire. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Then he adds, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. What James is saying is don't be deceived by thinking that your sin is somehow God's fault. It's not. It's your fault and your fault alone. You're the one who gave in to temptation and sin. You didn't need to. You chose to. Years ago, I was watching a baseball game on TV, and one of the outfielders dropped an easy pop fly. Now, I don't remember the player, much less the team, because it was years and years ago. But I do remember feeling a little sorry for him because it had to be pretty humiliating. But my pity quickly turned to laughter when he stood there for several seconds staring at his glove with the ball laying at his feet. There's an old saying that it's a poor craftsman who blames his mistakes on his tools. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse. Our present study is The Biblical Marriage, and our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to visit Lakeside some Sunday, the address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. Find out more at lakesidechapel.com or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. And we greatly appreciate the generous listeners whose giving helps with the expenses of producing and airing these daily broadcasts. And we also thank you for your prayers. If you'd like to make a gift to Verse by Verse, it's easy and safe at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Just click the giving link and go from there. Also at our website is a large library of previous broadcasts, which we hope you'll find useful. That web address again is versebyverseradio.org. Here's another website for you while I'm at it. It's the place to go if you're visually impaired and happen to have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind. You can get a free audio Bible for your player by going to blindbibles.com. Or you can call 800-838-5924. That's blindbibles.com or 800-838-5924. I'm Jerry Peterson. My years as an industrial electrician were mostly good. 
I love fixing stuff, but sometimes people make it harder than it needs to be. Like the time a press operator called me to his press, and when I got there and asked him what was wrong, he said, it's broke. (laughs) I laughed and I told him, I need a little more than that to go on. Once he explained it, it was a simple problem and only took a couple of minutes to get him going again. Now, a marriage might need a little more than a couple minutes to fix, but it won't get fixed without honest communication. Pastor Steve Kreloff will have more on the next Verse by Verse. We are here to give you strength between